This is a Channel 101 podcast. Hey y'all, it's me, Tad Donald, show creator, sound engineer, person who does podcast stuff. It's September 3rd, which I realize is Labor Day weekend, but this is one of those years where it means nothing to me because I'm putting up a podcast and heading to work today. And you know, Channel 101 doesn't take breaks, all right? That's not true. It takes a break from time to time. If you don't know already, Channel 101 is a monthly film festival for short television shows. Oh, you know? Sweet. I'll continue then. My guest on this episode of Primetime Files was imported from Dallas, Texas, with a background in television, media, theater, opera, and who knows what else. Some of us met her in the community as a marketing social media guru for 101, but before long, she went from intern to Channel 101 staple, wowing us with some really fun and interesting acting and video creation that both enhances and even participates in the screening when you include show entries like Candy Valley and The New News. The former being a title that you'll hear me struggling to summon in the interview. Uh, She co-hosts the Patreon Channel 101 podcast with Adam Garland and Josh Lona. She participates in putting together and running those wonderful Channel 101 live Twitch streams y'all heard tell about. My guest is a very, very talented person. I'm on board to see or be a part of (laughs) anything she ends up doing. And to know her is to know someone who's quite sincere, diplomatic, funny, and kind, and, and very, very nice to chat with. Please welcome my guest, Tess Jackson. How's it going? Not too bad. Welcome to the podcast, Tess. I'm glad Thank you for you. having me. Yeah. I know that you've heard it. Am I doing an okay job with the 101 uh, brand? Yeah, definitely. Your podcast is great. I love hearing, like, you're very good at interviewing people. It's a lot of fun. And you have joined the podcast ranks yourself. Do you, is that something that you wanted to do? Like, did you volunteer because you didn't know if anyone else would? Or do you genuinely enjoy surfing through time? Uh, maybe a little bit of both. <laughs> I remember it was, Erin uh, was bringing up that she was going to step away from it. And... I like podcasting, I like audio, and I want to get more acquainted with kind of the Channel 101 shows I haven't seen. So I was like, this is a great way to do this. But it's definitely, it's difficult. It's uh, a little harder than I anticipated, but I'm having a good time so far. I think listening back to your own stuff is is difficult. Right. (laughs) Yeah. But it's, it's one of the best ways to know whether what you're doing is working. Do you listen to the stuff after? Or do you like listen to it when it goes up? I've listened to it when it goes up because uh, you do a lot. <laughs> you do a lot of heavy lifting, just kind of cleaning well, up the audio. I very much appreciate it. The tech stuff is one thing, but you know, I, I can get through editing, and I need to work a lot at manufacturing some coherency in the way I talk <laughs> around mm-hmm. when the guest is talking. I just go like, "Wow, he's trying really hard to make sense." <laughs> <laughs> no, you guys are great. You, Adam and Josh. I know he just chimes in as producer, but he's he's a presence too there. Yeah, it's great to have Josh in the loft and just kind of chiming in. Mm-hmm. He also like helps us if uh, time starts going too long because we, we usually tape them as close to after we finish our day at Midnight Kids as possible. Mm-hmm. So it's coming off of like eight hour days and then going straight into the podcast and I know there was not the most recent one, but the one before that with Alex Kavitsky, 
it was a very long day. <laughs> and then right. we got into the podcast and I found myself like really having to like focus to keep myself there. That's <laughs> Well, I imagine after breakfast is the best time to get into that. Yeah. Now, my introduction to you, I believe, was the 101 board meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just rattle off the things that I know because I'm excited to get to know more. I mean, we've talked before on the phone, but I was looking at it right now. You were one of the makers of a, a failed pilot, but that <laughs> you've made a show. I mean, it's a failed pilot. It's not really a show. No, I just mean you made an excellent show. It's on the website. So that's a win. You serve on the board. You've worked a lot of the screenings and various technical behind the scenes. Uh, more recently, I saw you on the stage. So I don't know where I started that sentence, but I'll keep going. <laughs> You're good. You're doing well. And you do the podcast. You've even done some production for some interstitial stuff for the screenings, which I'm like, it's cool for me to see and and go like, that's Tess. Can you organize it for me after and <laughs> maybe give me the proper order? But this sure. started off with you joining the internship program. So yeah. how did... Take me through that journey. I moved to Los Angeles close to a year ago now. When I was moving out, I had a remote job that was in post-production for a university in Texas. So when I came out to LA, I was working a schedule that was two hours difference. And a lot of it was things that I could knock out pretty quickly. And then I was on standby most of the day. While I was working that job, I was kind of searching for new work as well as different kinds of opportunities. And I was introduced to Midnight Kids from my cousin, Sam, and they told me about their internship program. So I emailed Sevon and I was like, I'm looking to get more involved with making connections out in Hollywood or Los Angeles in general, just as far as things in production. At the time, I didn't know too much about Channel 101. I'd researched it and watched some pilots from uh, just what was going on most recently to apply to the internship. But I found quickly, I was like, oh, this is great. This is uh, exactly the kind of thing that I was looking to get involved with because there's very little barrier to entry. And I think that's really important in uh, the biz because so much of it is blocked for so many reasons. So I applied to be an intern, I got accepted, and it kind of just happened. At the time that I was accepted, I met with KP, who was the marketing board member at the time. She was talking about marketing and things like that, and I thought the meeting was just a general, oh, is this something you're interested in getting to learn about? And at the end of the meeting, she went, so you're good, right? You're going you're gonna to be the new marketing board member? <laughs> I was like, I guess so. Uh, I can give it a shot. So I did a bunch of marketing stuff as the as an intern and worked some of the screenings. And at the end of my internship, uh, I met with Sevon and Aaron and the rest of the board and got voted in as the official marketing board member. From there, I kind of kept doing Channel 101 work, and uh, I tried making a few different... Or I, I made two failed pilots for Channel 101. Uh, I made Canny Valley with Troy DeWin. Right. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. You're good. I love that one. It was... Uh, I think he's listed as the creator. We went back and forth, and it was like, this is your idea. I just helped it along. So I made Canny Valley with Troy DeWin. Then I made New News back in March, I think. So I've been trying to keep up with making pilots. 
but it's a, it's kind of a weird space to be in both on the board and working all the behind the scenes stuff for channel 101 and also trying to find the time to make original shows right. but it's a great environment to be like oh i have this idea and then there are plenty of folks around who are like well i can help you do that I'm like well i need to find the time that i can do that first but thanks <laughs> Going back to that scene, which sounds like it's straight out of a movie, like the movie starts off with the day of the meeting with K.P. Parker. So you're going to do it, right? It's like, I just came to to talk with you. Uh, (laughs) And cut to like, there's a board all raising their hands. Oh, well, I guess I'm in now. I'm in pretty deep here. (laughs) There's a pop song montage going on in the background. Popping papers every which way. Right. Um, Um, My intro to you was K.P. Because K.P. for a while was the person that I was constantly um, berating each week with my here's the primetime files images for you to put on Instagram mm-hmm. and then she's like Tess is going to do that now yeah. get ready for a weekly <laughs> yeah I know you have phrased it like bothering you and throwing like all this stuff at you but you're never bothering me it's actually it's very helpful when you send me that kind of stuff a lot of what I do is like fabricating the assets and keeping the schedule and so it can get a little bit uh, mixed up all in here <laughs> So the texts and the pre-made graphics are way helpful. Can I get you to tell like the people who participate in 101 but don't know a whole lot, lot about what goes into it from the marketing? What, like, what are some of the hopes that the efforts that you do can make happen for 101? And what are some of the things that you've been trying? So I think the Channel 101 Film Festival is so dependent on the community, both the community of creators and the folks who attend the screenings, that a large portion of my efforts have been trying to keep our audience engaged and get new audience. So to that end, I'm actually also trying out the programming chair a little bit, some duties this month. Nothing official, but just uh, Aaron and I have... Hello. Oh, no, it's all good. Is that Sevan? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi, Sevan. <laughs> he was just checking to see if the AC was on. Um, the back backtracking... Back to Tess. I'm trying out some of the programming this month because both the programming and marketing are so linked as far as I need to know what to post about. And something I'm trying to do is create some newer programs or some variations on old programs that can be marketed more throughout the month. So there's more than just the competition. Because I think folks would like to get involved in a lot of different ways. And maybe the avenue for them isn't necessarily making the show and the pilot for the end of the month, but maybe they're more a technical person or maybe they're more interested in live shows. So just kind of expanding what we're doing to kind of find the place that makes Channel 101 a unique platform that creators would want to go to over, say, posting things on TikTok or YouTube Because participants are more than welcome to do that with their pilots and things like that. We're not claiming singular ownership. But the community is such a big draw that I would love to get as many people involved as are passionate for the projects that we do. What's up, buddies? Kayla here, host of the podcast Screen Vomit, which is a movie podcast for geeks and freaks of all kinds, breaking down films from the last 10 years, joined by people in various aspects of the entertainment industry, including musicians, filmmakers, and even several 101ers that y'all know and love, including, but not limited to, Alex Kavitsky, Anna Saragina, and even Todd Donald himself. 
I love movies, you love movies, I've never met a 101er who doesn't know what a movie is, but even if you don't, maybe you'll learn a few things, so check it out, Screen Vomit, wherever you find your podcasts. I'll, I'll be the first to kick my own ass, but when it comes to like TikTok, it's out of a love for storytelling that requires effort and creativity up to and including the stuff that you would get on 101 when it was like still like the pioneer and mm-hmm. in terms of like getting your content on the web what um <laughs> without forming a question what's your take on that <laughs> <laughs> we've been trying to figure out how channel 101 can fit into the tiktok platform and it's been pretty hit or miss um On one hand, KP, after leaving the marketing, is now like a TikTok influencer. Like she has a lot of following and stuff there. Mm. And it's not necessarily too, too far off from Channel 101 as far as being like, how can you tell a story or make a piece of entertainment in short span? They've since expanded how long you can make your videos. So it's a bit different. But I think... Where TikTok lands is that it is a free-to-use platform. It has an algorithm built in. So in the same way that when people submit to Channel 101, if they get in the screening, they automatically have an audience for whoever's going to view the screening. TikTok's algorithm also creates an automatic audience. The difference is the audience chooses to engage versus the screening, the panel kind of chooses what will be engaged with. So on one hand, you do have the TikTok It will shove everything at you all at once so that it can learn what you like, so that it can tailor things to you. And that puts you in a bubble where you can't really grow or kind of branch out as far as maybe there are other things I'd be interested in. It's the the filter bubble type theory. Right. Uh, But on the other hand, I do think that like people are using it in new and creative ways. There are accounts that don't just take the video and then post it. I know a handful of people who fully shoot things, edit it, and premiere, put all that work into it just for the TikTok platform. Right. One of our interns last semester actually does a lot of uh, streaming through TikTok. She's a cartoonist and animator, so she'll show her process working um, and get viewers through that. I think it's just another tool that is reinventing the wheel in the kind of way that everyone wants their work to be appreciated. And TikTok has a formula that provides that kind of instant gratification. I'd say the difference with Channel 101, in not in an elitism kind of way or anything, is that you kind of have to work harder for that because you can't just put something out and find the audience immediately that will give it a like, whether they care or don't care, because some people just like things in terms of like hitting the button like things the work with channel 101 is it's a longer form it goes through submissions through panels to screening through votes there's low barrier to entry but there is a lot of hurdles to get through before you get that kind of i've done it satisfaction and i'd argue that like that satisfaction is greater the harder you are working for it But platforms that have shorter form or easier access to audiences to get those short bursts, I think, are satisfying enough to some folks. So, sorry, that's a very long tangent of basically saying there are different platforms, different tools, but I think it's like microdosing the high you get off of Channel 101. Right. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. 
when your period of internship ended, you, you're still with us, is what I'm saying. Quite valuable, and I hope you stay for a long time. Um, <laughs> what made you decide to do that? <laughs> well, around the time my internship ended, my remote work with the university also ended. So it was a, it was a way of having something that I was consistently working on while also trying to look for a job. <laughs> so yeah. I didn't kind of get in the space of, cause you know, you, you, I think for some folks more than others, myself included, it's easy to kind of get into a depressive lull when you're not working on things or where you don't feel like necessarily you're working towards anything. Mm -hmm. And so it was really great to, while I was, you know, getting job rejection after job rejection to have Channel 101 to be like, I know I'm still able to do good work and these rejections aren't about me personally. On top of that, when I was in college, I did a uh, program called Texas Student Television or TSTV, which reminded me a lot of Channel 101. So it felt like a very like homey kind of yeah, fit yeah. working on it. Because the university station might not still be the only, but it might be the only FCC-regulated television station entirely run by student volunteers. So it was come in with your ideas, spend the time to develop them, shoot them, come do it live, come submit them, and uh, it will be broadcast. And it was, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. I met most of the people that I uh, am still friends with today through it, and... It taught me a lot about how to go ahead and make things. Right. And so Channel 101's message being that similar, it felt like a good fit and a good stick around. That's pretty cool. You, you can correct me if there are any in-betweens here, but like you said, you moved to Los Angeles roughly a year ago, correct? Almost two months from a year. From your POV, what's your take on living in Los Angeles? I, I really like it. I feel like... There's always something to do. Uh, where I currently live, I can basically walk to anything at a given time. The main drawback, aside from the usual traffic and all that jazz from me, is that it's a city that always feels on. Like if you're working in entertainment, that is all-consuming in a way. Right. It's like you get off work and you're like, oh, great. I don't have to, I'm not going to be... Uh, editing television right now and then you see a billboard for a tv show and you're like oh, i should check that out probably i've heard great things and then you get back home and you're like well i could watch tv or i could watch a movie or it's like if you want to go out there's oh there's a movie out or there's stand-up comedy from this talented person and i think that's both very exciting and someone like me who i can acknowledge my tendency is to try and take everything on all the time is a little dangerous as far as I need to be conscientious about not burning myself out on the things that I know I love just right. because they're all there all the time. That's why I'm only going to visit. Like I can't yeah. wait to visit and I'll stay like two weeks. But when are you visiting? I don't know. <laughs> That's been in the pipeline for at least a year and a half. Uh, don't know when, but it'll only be two weeks. See, so I won't get that burnout I'll be fine. Exactly. I'll get, get my the, film. the razzle dazzle of it. Yeah, <laughs> but I get what you're saying. Going back to before, what part? Where did you grow up in Texas? 
And what would you describe it as? Uh, I grew up in Dallas, Texas, in one of the big cities of Texas, kind of. I think there's Dallas, Austin, Houston, San Antonio. Those are kind of the big names everybody knows. Dallas, while being like a big bustling city, doesn't have any industries that really piqued my interest. Um, You're not into football? Oh, not not really. Uh, my family, strangely enough, was more of a uh, cycling, like Tour de France watching type thing. But I'd say Dallas feels like a very corporate city. While living there, I always felt like there was nothing to do because with all its glamour, there was never anything that was uh, in entertainment. Uh, Austin was great. I moved to Austin when I went to college. There's lots of music, lots of comedy good time. I think it's a place, it's another place to visit though. I I think it's very much changed in the general mindset of what people think Austin is with the keep Austin weird. Like it's kind of taken that idea and capitalized on it in a way that it feels like it presents the keep Austin weird and keep buying Austin being weird. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can relate with Kitchener. Um, Kyle, Mm -hmm. you want to chime in? I don't know. He's he's in Austin right now Mm -hmm. and not on with us. So I, I, I know you didn't expect me to remember, but we had a lovely chat. You sort of told me like what you were fascinated in and trained in in school. Uh, no, bullshit. I still remember. But can you tell the audience what you told me? Uh, so I went to college for theater um, and I went to the University of Texas at Austin because they also had a film program. And I knew that that was something I was interested in. So I did theater for my first two and a half years, and then I added a second major for radio, television, and film. But I also was, while they didn't offer a minor at the time that I was doing it, I was involved with the uh, School of Music training in opera. Um, I took a lot of opera classes, but they were more so because that was something that I'd been, been training in since I was eight So it was a way of keeping that going without having to leave campus. (laughs) My college had a certain deal where it was like, once you hit a certain number of hours, you were paying for that number of hours and anything beyond that was just included. So uh, while I kind of killed myself taking, (laughs) taking, I took on average 20 hours a semester. So while I was running myself ragged doing that, I managed to learn about all the things I was interested in. Like how bad did it get on any given project (laughs) night? Yeah, I think on my um, first semester of my sophomore year, I was applying to the film program and trying to take the classes that I had access to. I was taking 24 hours. A project that I had written on was accepted to a theater festival being put on on campus. And I was asked to direct it. I was also uh, shooting my own pilot for the Texas student television station. And I had been ambitious and wrote a 40 minute pilot. Uh, And I was doing all that all at once. And I think (laughs) the main point that I can distinguish as the breaking point was we were in the production week for the theater festival and the community engagement person had asked that somebody on the team somewhere cut out a bunch of paper stars because we had our show had something to do with like uh, astronomy, so the community engagement involved people writing things on stars. So I was in my archaeology class, 
and I was cutting out these paper stars while trying to take notes. I hadn't slept. Um, I was pr- probably pretty sick. I remember just feeling not good. And then um, our professor came in and he started the class by saying, well, if you get to my age, and he was, he was like 70. He was like, if you get to my age and wait, never go to Taco Bell and fall down because they won't help you back up. Something about that made everyone laugh. Uh, and he meant it in a playful way. And I started laughing and I couldn't stop. <laughs> that was where I was like, oh, this isn't good. It's because I was actively trying to stop myself laughing, but I was so exhausted that it just seemed like the funniest thing in the world. And I'm sure the professor looked out into the seats and saw this like sophomore girl like cutting paper stars in his archaeology class like dual wielding notes and just like tears streaming from this most plain statement Um, so I've learned to uh, kind of cut back from there it's sorry (laughs) the upstairs neighbors Uh, it's still something that I know I have to work on like on top of channel 101 right now I I'm a post-production coordinator, and I am also a personal assistant. I'm still trying to figure out where to balance my life, but it's hard when you want to do everything. Those were all opt-in, what you're doing now? Yeah. I mean, some of it is financial, but there's a world in which I could probably cut back and find things that would still financially support me. (laughs) I sleep in Midnight Kid's basement. They have me in a glass room. They give me a really comfortable cot. It's fine. <laughs> if you get thirsty, drink your sweat down there. Oh, how'd uh, you know that's what they say? <laughs> and then we'll be back in the morning and Willie Roberts will be in. Okay. Yeah, Willie lives in the basement cell next to me, actually. So <laughs> <laughs> Great dancer. Anyway. Uh... Hey, it's a me, Mario. Love Channel 101, but hate looking at shit? Try Frequency 101. All you gotta do is record an audio pilot, make it five minutes or less, and submit it to... Submissions at Channel101.com! The listening audience will vote for the favorites, Mamma Mia, and the top five shows will return next month. And don't worry, it's all audio, so you won't have to look at any flop dongs. Frequency 101, you won't have to look at any dicks or buttholes. And we're back. <laughs> uh, how was your break? <laughs> Have a little water. It was good. It was good. Took a quick vacation. Uh, went to the Bahamas and came all the way back. That was fast. You had to be efficient with your vacations. <laughs> you were describing before, and it's on the record, <laughs> like just how much of your time and world is consumed with media and film and television. What is your complete opposite? What is your complete opposite of that of choice? I suppose it'd probably be uh, healthy if I bought like those kids math books and just spent my spent my free time filling them out because I've forgotten more math than I've probably ever learned. Um, But I think I try and uh, read books, do art, go out on walks, go to the beach, things like that. It's still adjacent to entertainment media, but that's kind of where I've always felt my interests have lied. So it's a break that I don't feel that I have to work in, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
you've, you've mentioned a few things already, like theater, broadcasting, and I don't think you mentioned it here, but I know that you're an opera singer. No, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was kind of a, a rough turn, the pandemic. I know for everyone, but um, I front-loaded a lot of my uh, pre-pandemic time, let's say five years ago. I was doing a lot of student films and a lot of on-camera acting and things that I could do that way. And then um, I got very tired of it because <laughs> it's it's tough, especially when you're kind of at, I don't want to say the things that people were making were amateur, but as far as low budget kind of work, like it's it can be difficult and you never, and people are still learning. So I got a little bit burnt out on doing film things. So I moved into theater for the last like two years prior to pandemic theater and opera. And then the pandemic happened. Theater and live performance shut down. Film somewhat shut Mm -hmm. down. But it became hard to try and find acting work because my reel was outdated by at least two years, even if my projects were up to date for theater. Um, And now I'm uh, figuring out a plan to update all those types of things now. Opera was kind of like the last live performance type stuff I was doing before pandemic and before moving out here. Well, I hope you don't mind. I'm sure you heard. I think it was when Wade and Kelsey were on the Patreon podcast and you ended up doing like a little interpolation, if you will, of a line, an opera line and you sang it and it blew everyone away. It blew me away as a listener. And then I decided to cut and paste that at the end so that people would hear (laughs) an echo of it. Yeah, Uh, no, that was very fun. I don't mind at all. I'm looking at the files and typically little BTS with the Patreon podcast, but usually like when I drag the tracks on, I'm waiting for the waves to show up and it's, I think I get everything a little bit quiet. There was like one spike in the middle and then I went to see what it was and it was like this beautiful operatic singing. Um, (laughs) Thank you. It's pretty special. I Uh, remember when we were doing that, I'm aware of how I'm not very good at speaking very loudly or yelling but opera is like a whole other thing and I know that it automatically becomes so loud so when I did that I remember I think I put my mic as far away from me as I could because <laughs> uh, I didn't want to blow your eardrums out <laughs> if right. the recording just went <laughs> yeah just cut off yeah there was decent headroom right let's geek out a little bit like <laughs> I guess there are two questions in this like as far back as you can remember what did you see, film, television, whatever? Like, okay, the world's most famous dancer once saw, you know, Gene Kelly in a movie when she was a child. I want to know what that thing is uh, for you. Yeah. When I was a kid, I actually was not allowed to watch TV. Why? Uh, my, yeah, my parents were, both my brother and I, they were of the mindset, the like boob tube TV makes you stupid kind of thing. So they didn't want to expose us to it as a kid. So at the most I would really get to watch was PBS Kids or if my parents wanted to watch a movie and rented a movie or if my grandparents like gifted us a VHS or something like that. Right. So as far as memorable movies go, I think the earliest movie memory I have of like going to a theater and seeing something was actually uh, Tom Cruise's War of the Worlds. That was Tom Cruise, right? <laughs> but I like think so. roommate. Did you fetish, like any TV at all for you must have been pornography in your home. There must have been an extra thing going on inside you. Yeah, to to watch a movie. What? What? 
It's so big. Uh, Forbidden. <laughs> it's funny because my brother is also in film and television now. So let this be a warning to any parents who are like, I don't want my kids to do something that dumb. Don't forbid it. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I also was growing up at a really interesting time for media because while my parents were like, TV is dumb and bad, it wasn't that vehement but it was like well we'd rather you be doing something else and like keeping it off but i was growing up at like the wide boom of the internet okay so when i had access to computers that's when i was seeing what people were making online so like youtube was a big thing so even if my parents were like tv is dumb and curated then i was just seeing any thought anyone ever had put to video and put to the internet so I remember like early YouTube days, things like that. I remember not quite understanding pirating and coming across things. Uh, I watched anime online. I found that. So could I say exactly what media influenced me to going into television and film? It might have just been the, as you were putting it, like the suddenly pornographic availability of every creative thing anyone's ever done when I found the internet. There was also porn there too, but I wasn't watching it. <laughs> well, yeah, when you set the internet, I'm like, oh shit. Like, she, she, Tess at this point has not even like exposed herself to PG frivolity. Yeah, and suddenly <laughs> it's like, there are people putting on silly voices on YouTube and saying things that nowadays really bad. <laughs> That's also might be part of why I'm drawn to Channel 101 is it is the spot of like anyone can make anything and put it out there. And now that I've worked in more television and film and studied it more, I know just how hard that is to have the opportunity to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I remember distinctly War of the Worlds in theaters. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou was just, I think, my dad's favorite movie. So we watched that a lot. I loved the Aristocats. We did have that VHS and I watched that a lot. Nice. And it was before they like smoothed everything out. So it still had all the like drawing lines. And I think that's what I loved about it. Cause I remember we got the like remastered and suddenly I was like, this is gross. I don't like this. <laughs> yeah. Those VHS Disney movies in those extra wide bubbly white packages. Those yeah. are rare and worth ridiculous amounts of money. <laughs> and I, I destroyed the Aristocats one. I remember yeah. that too. Because I was like, how does this work? And I pulled the tape out. So oh, okay. somebody out there who's a Disney VHS collector just turned in on themselves, <laughs> turned to stone hearing that. I was sitting here shining my pristine copy of the Aristocats, <laughs> and then I was listening to this podcast, and I vomped it all over it. That's <laughs> exactly. Funny. That's what I anticipate people are doing. <laughs> I like to play it out in my mind. There's not a wrong answer here, but are you a comedy fan? Yeah, I uh, I love comedy. I'd be wary of anyone who answers that question. No, I hate it. <laughs> I hate joy and laughter. It is pretty black and white with this question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think most of what I was seeing growing up on the internet was people doing sketches, people making their own comedic things, and not to get too into the history of my life. There's been some like bad stuff that's happened. Everyone's got some bad stuff, but comedy has always helped me through it. 
either mm-hmm. comedy shows or making jokes or finding stuff like that. And I think it's one way or the other for most people. It's either you lean into the artistry of what you've learned from this dark time or you have learned enough about it to feel comfortable making fun of it. So I I think I like comedy. I've written a lot of comedy for things. And I've done stand-up once, and it was by accident. But everyone seemed to have a good time. So, <laughs> Is there a story in that? Kind of. It was uh, one of my friends at the time, he had taken a stand-up comedy course in the theater department. He was not a theater student and was very nervous about... One of their final requirements for the course was that they find an open mic and just do the set that they'd been working on. Um, He was very nervous about it. So the only way to do it was, he said, well, I'll only go and do a set if you go and do a set with me. And I didn't have anything prepared. So I said, I'll go with you and like, we'll see. And we got there and there was a very, very long line for people to do the open mic. So great. I won't have to do it. But there's there's a standby list. Put your name on the standby list. So I did. It was a bar, so I had a couple drinks while people were performing. I was a bit tipsy. And then it came to the end of the night, like the end of the set slot for the open mic. So I was like, great. Didn't have to do it. He did his set. Everything is fine. And then they said, and we're going to try and get to the standby list. We're going to expand the hours just a bit. So suddenly I had to go up on stage. I was a little bit tipsy and I had nothing prepared. But I just told a story of the Cliff's Notes version is when I was in middle school, the first time I had a like speaking, singing role in the middle school musical. I was very excited and nervous about it. It was a Roman musical themed thing. So I was in a white toga and a combination of nerves and the crafty and everything. Uh, In the middle of my big number on stage, I sharted. So I... (laughs) had a shit stain on the back of my toga in the middle of the whole play and I had to run outside because I didn't know what else to do so I ran away and it had been raining so I rolled in the mud and ran back inside and improved my way back into the show as far as this is what my character would do so I just kind of reenacted that on stage for my first stand-up open mic set um and it went it went really well okay so that was the cliff notes version can we get the (laughs) of course i mean i kind of i may have spoiled it a little bit there but (laughs) the parents who had provided the food for the students beforehand had made burritos which is a great like fast do it many people food and i was really nervous because i knew that i had basically one song where I had one solo line that was like a big belt done with it kind of thing. My character was the comic relief of the show. Uh, She was supposed to be a tomboy gladiator type. I ate and my stomach was feeling kind of bad, but everyone was like, oh, it's nerves. It's butterflies. It's everything everyone gets when they perform. So we were going through the show and it gets to the big number. And I have a photo of the exact moment it happened because that was the night they were taking cast photos. But Spotlight, I was like singing, I belted the note. And then like in the middle of it, I sharted and then the lights went out. And my just immediate reaction was to run out this, like run out the stage door. Because I was like, I can't go back there. I don't, I can't tell anyone what happened. Just, there's no way of fixing this. So I went out the stage door just on pure instinct. And then I was like, I'm in the next scene. I need to get back inside, but I don't know what the state of my toga is. I just...
back. Yeah, well, <laughs> where it froze, you were talking about running out the back door, but I just want to say that I definitely did not expect, like, the story, like, definitely paid off with sharding, but I was not expecting sharding. I would have been fine with, like, forgot my line or tripped, and then you're like, by the <laughs> Jupiter's yeah. anus, I... Uh, for the audience they're like what what she's saying and then it's like look that's about how it went it was uh i ran out the stage door covered my toga in mud to try and hide anything that might have come through the back ran back in for the next scene came in to like the other people in the scene going like i don't know where she is where could she be? Because it's middle school and no one knows how to fill that space. Right. And coming back in in mud and then being like, where have you been? Just playing in the mud. I'm a tomboy. Because that was the whole character, basically. Right. And then as soon as, his, as the play was over, I was like, mom, we got to go right now. Didn't change costume. Just like washed it at home, brought it back in and uh, refused to answer any questions. And I uh, didn't tell that story until I got to college and I realized it was funny. Truly a miracle that uh, that all happened and I was still like, I think I want to do theater. It's like a brown stain and that's when you knew showbiz. Exactly. If it's got a little bit of shit, just make it all shit. No one will know the difference. I mean, the scales aren't imbalanced. We're just telling stories here, but I'll tell you that like not too long ago, it happened to me and it hadn't happened in years. I was like, oh, this is, I think this is a fart. And I'm like, no, I sharted, um, but it happens, <laughs> but it, it, it'll never happen again because I'm an adult, right? Yeah. No, I've sewn my butthole shut. Can't happen anymore. <laughs> it's one of those Hollywood procedures they're offering these days. Tests, tests that might not be healthy. <laughs> Well, um, I haven't had to worry about it yet. So. <laughs> Dumbass. You just stop eating. I also learned that from Hollywood. <laughs> I learned it from the Wu-Tang Clan. <laughs> I, I, that's actually where I got all my ideas for Frequency 101 shows. Uh, right, Wu-Tang Clan? I believe it's Raekwon, the chef, and Method Man battles. Not a bad place to find inspiration. Yeah. Also, everything I know from about California is via Dr. Dre and Snoop, of course. It's accurate. <laughs> By Jove, it's it's all true. We have to have another sidebar uh, at some point about creative things too, because you're such a wonderful person to talk to. From our last talk, I, I know that when things aren't so crazy on my my end and your end, that we'll create something, and that's something that I'm just putting out there in front of the podcast listener to go like as another reminder, as a constant reminder that that's what our community is and can be. And also, I want to thank you for being the part of it that you've become. There's new news and Kenny Valley. Those are two awesome shows, but people can't play it like in a, on a player on the website. But you did this really funny commercial for 101 where you played like a, <laughs> sort of like that Long Island uh, tax consultant. Tax consultant. <laughs> it was funny. Uh, all of our interns who helped us make that were from New York. Oh. So I started doing it. It was like, okay, you guys have to tell me if if, if I got to step off of this. And they were You're, like, no. Everyone from New York is Janice, right? Yeah. No, that was funny. And that's just a roundabout way of me saying, as far as like you as a creator, as a performer, I love everything I've seen so far. I want to see more. And um, like, thank you so much for, for your time this afternoon. Thank you so much for having me and all your kind words. And I would love to chat soon. And 
I'm thinking of trying to do something for Frequency, so I'd love to work with you on it. Is, is there anything that you want to say to the people who are listening to these podcasts that haven't yet made stuff? Well, I'll say, I said this to someone the other day, and they were like, is that from something? That's great advice. And I was like, I guess I'll just tell people that now. And it's that if you have ideas, if there are things you want to make, the best thing you can do with that is make them and then have them done. It's the best state something can be in. So if you're like, oh, well, I want to make it, but I want to make it well. I don't want it to be crap or anything like that. It's like, well, if you don't, if you never make it, it'll never be made. So the best the best state that something you're interested in making can be is done. Right. And then you can nitpick from there. Yeah. That's solid. Love to have you do channel 101, frequency 101 and uh, get those ideas out in the open. This podcast features music used with permission from the Hollow Scene EP by Postmodern Machine. Available wherever you get bandcamp.com, but please visit postmodernmachine.com. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.